I'm excited to start a new series today. We're calling the series The Life You've Always Wanted, But Need Spiritual Discipline in Order to Obtain. Lesson number one is on transformation. Transformation is an amazing concept, both in science. We immediately think of the butterfly that, that starts out uh, in a cocoon and makes, it, makes its way to a beautiful, uh, I guess it would be insect. But there are all kinds of other transformations. One I read about that made me laugh. Apparently a family from a pretty remote area was making their first trip to a big city. They checked into a really neat hotel and then kind of just stood there looking at all of the impressive stuff uh, around the reception desk. And pretty soon they came to a, an elevator entrance. They had never seen an elevator before. They just stood there kind of staring at it for a minute, trying to figure out what it was for. And uh, an old lady hobbled up behind him uh, towards that elevator and she went inside. And a second or two later, the door closed. Then about a minute later, the door opened and out came a really nice looking young woman. The dad couldn't help but keep staring without even turning his head, he patted his son's arm and said, uh, go, go get your mother, son. <laughs> uh, he thought perhaps the elevator, yeah, you get the story. At any rate, we're going to talk about spiritual transformation. In one of the uh, uh, well-known books on this topic by Foster and uh, Griffin called Spiritual Classics, there's a good quote to get us started. It says, Choosing to live for Jesus Christ may mean adopting a certain style of life, or perhaps more properly, a rule of life. We take on a series of spiritual practices that will open us to God's work in our lives. It's a work of grace. It's transformational. Yet something is demanded from us. We need to say, be it done to me according to your will. Um, we need to learn kind of practically, how to arrange our lives so that we can see some transformation happening. And another good word for transformation is morphing. And that word is seen in many different places in our Bible, but let's start with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, transformation. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, I said a moment ago you could translate that word uh, transform or transformation by the idea of morphing. It's an inward uh, and a very real, authentic formation of the essential nature uh, of a person. God's original design for, for men and women was that he was very pleased with what he created. In Genesis one thirty one, it says God saw all that he made and it was very good. His original plan for, for mankind was what I call the garden experience in Eden. Uh, it was supposed to be a perfect existence. Sin messed up that existence. And ever since that time, 
that sent it into the world. We all long now for a real home. Augustine said it best, You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We long for authenticity. We long for real inward formation of the original intended nature of, of, of mankind. Um, Tozer once said, The interior journey of the soul from the wilds of sin into the enjoyed presence of God is beautiful. That journey is meant to be beautiful. He says, The ransomed me need no longer pause in fear before that holy of holies. And God wills that we should, and this is important, push on into his presence and live our whole lives there. The goal for every believer is transformation. It is the intent of God that we would move from the sinful state uh, that we all find ourselves in to the state where our lives more and more and more reflect the very character of Christ. Maybe it'd be good to take a moment and talk about what transformation is not. It is not uh, what I'll call a surface approach to Christianity. It's not a bunch of religious effort. It's not a bunch of spiritual um, uh, do-gooder things that somehow we get brownie points for. It is not an an adherence um, to some sort of a a set of identity markers, the things that, that let our, our community, our society know that we're uh, Christians. Uh, it's not a visual, a shallow visual representation of, of, of Christian walk. Um, there were some very interesting ones in the first century for, for most of the first century believers. They had identity markers like following certain dietary laws or keeping the Sabbath. Uh, their neighbors didn't do that. And, and of course, being circumcised. Um, the 20th century believers, just a, a few years behind us, some of the identity markers were things like, you know, uh, no smoking, no chewing, no, you know, no uh, drinking, no dancing, no playing cards. Um, some of that is, is slid by, uh, not necessarily because we're getting more spiritual, perhaps we're getting more carnal, but the 21st century believers, I, I, I sat and tried to think what the what the identity markers might be. I guess going to church, uh, really spiritual folks are in small groups. Um, I, I'm not sure, but those spiritual markers are, are not a, a, a real indication of transformation. Oftentimes, they're just an expression of us going through the motions. Um, one of one of the commentators I was reading said, "If you are weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are." So, what is transformation? Well, it's purposeful activities. It's things that help us become more and more like His Son. And there are three Bible passages uh, in your notes that are indicated, and they're all important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, the Bible is going to give us the, the first indicator or the first uh, one that I saw that has to do with these uh, purposeful activities. He says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 18, uh, and, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, 
who is the spirit, are being transformed. That's the same word that's used um, to, to uh, make an account for the Lord's transfiguration in Matthew 17. And the idea is, is a continual thing. The, the, the Greek of that verb is are being transformed, continue to be transformed. These purposeful activities are meant to, to be a process. In Romans 8, uh, verse number 29, we're told to be conformed, same word, to his likeness, Christ's likeness. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, assures us that we shall be like him at one point. Now, the important thing to note is that these activities, they're not, they're not a casual, part-time little endeavor. Being transformed is the full-time, intentional pursuit of Christ. And it's the normal expression of a believer. It's not the super spiritual among us, the really, the really high-class spiritual folks who, who pursue purposeful activities. But it's the everyday process in the everyday believer. It is an authentic, very important word, outward expression of the inward process that's going on inside of our hearts. And that is, generally speaking, a gradual process. Now, I've, I've known of a few folks where, had, where their spiritual walk was dramatically changed overnight. And I'm certain that God's Spirit does that. But generally speaking, this, this transformation is a gradual process. And it, and it almost always starts with some kind of repentance. In Acts chapter 3, in verse number 19, the Bible says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This process is triggered when you and I stop certain activities with a repentance. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm going to stop doing that. And the transformational process begins. Now, transformation requires training, not just trying. I think this is the number one issue about the development of Christ's character in our lives that trips us up. We, we tend to think that, that just a, a little bit of willpower and we'll overcome some spiritual issues in our life and we'll, we'll get on top of something and we'll get better about something and we'll, we'll, we'll by the, the, the weight of our, of our will, uh, overcome sin in our lives and 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 move on with the transformation process. But but at First Timothy rather chapter four verse seven, Paul's telling his uh, his young protege, "Hey, I want you to exercise." And the word there is train, train yourself in godliness. Now, just like you don't wake up one morning and say, "Hey, I want to have this chiseled body," and by the sheer impact of my will it's going to happen. No, you, you join a gym or you get some equipment or you start running or you start doing uh, some things in the home to accent the building up of your muscles. It, it takes effort. It takes training, a, 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 a given specific set of, of plans and, and, the, and the adherence to that plan. Training requires a decision, a place to start. Trying is just an excuse. How I'm trying to be more like Christ. In, in some ways, it's the difference between saying, I'll try, and, and saying, I will start. Spiritual training responds, like the scripture just said a, a moment or two ago, to the wind of the Spirit. It's not rigid. Um, it's, it's not a, 
uh, a locked-in, onerous, uncomfortable, miserable activity. Um, it, it, it is a response to God's Spirit in our lives, and it's, it's flexible. It's not always an upward uh, trajectory. There's, there's failure. There's, there's follies. There's, I didn't do it as well as I should have. Um, and then we start again with that same process, beginning with repentance and moving on so that, that we can continue in that transformational uh, uh, process. Spiritual training does produce results. Um, if, if, if you've known the Lord for longer than just a few weeks, you should be able to give yourself a, a spiritual uh, thermometer check and see processes in your life that are producing different attitudes or different behaviors. We ought to be becoming more loving or more patient or kinder or more generous people. And we should be able to see those improvements in our own uh, life. And those around us, those nearest to us, should be able to perceive, kind of see the work of God in our hearts. Transformation requires training, a schedule, a plan, a, 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 some determination, and a, and a beginning point, a reference point. Um, it's not just a matter of, well, I'll, I'll try or I'll try harder. Training also requires discipline. Um, uh, knowing how to do anything, any new skill, requires a ramp up. There's a training period. There's a, there's a challenge. Uh, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to have to try harder. Let me try this. Let me try that. Uh, but, but discipline is that which keeps us at it. Discipline says... It wasn't all that easy the first time, maybe not the second time or even the 20th time, but I'm going to do it the 21st time. I'm going to do it for a week and then another week and then another week. I'm, I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to ask others to, to hold me accountable while I, while I continue on in this transformational process. You know, discipline is, is the act that we choose to step in the right direction I read one time that a disciplined person can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and with the right spirit. Now, sometimes I can do the right thing. I can even do it sometimes at the right time and sometimes in the right way, but often not with the right spirit. A disciplined person has got all of those characteristics under the control of the spirit. Now, it's my contention that transformation is possible in the, in the lives of the everyday believer, but it requires you and I having purposeful activities that enable us to live in the Spirit of God. And, and, and what gets displayed then are the fruits of the Spirit. You know the passage in Galatians chapter 5. Let me turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, there it is. Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, all of those things are, are evidence that the purposeful activities that we choose are going on in our lives. If there's no fruit of the Spirit, 
then there's probably no purposeful activities. Let me redefine that word purposeful activities and call it spiritual disciplines. Now, a spiritual discipline is not a way to gain favor, or, or the kids in school might say extra credit, with God. Um, in the shallowness of my early uh, spiritual walk, if somebody were to ask me, so how, how is your spiritual walk? How are how, how you doing in your spiritual life? What I would have done is gone to a short list of, of things I should do and things I shouldn't do, and I'd run through that little list, and if, if I were doing less of the ones I shouldn't do and more of the ones I should do, I'd report that, that all was well. But the truth of the matter is, um, we, we don't gain favor by these purposeful activities with God. We're not, we're not earning brownie points with him. Uh, if you're still in Galatians, just turn over one page to the book of Ephesians. And notice in, in chapter 2, he says, it, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, any kind of works, even these spiritual disciplines, so that nobody can boast. That, that's not our motive. We're not trying to gain favor with God. We're trying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and see our lives transformed. Now, an, another thing to remember is that these, these spiritual uh, disciplines are not necessarily that, that spiritual barometer of our lives. It is, it is really possible to perform all manner of spiritual stuff out of an empty heart. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18 um, you may remember that passage where it says, "These people uh, they honor me with their with their lips, but their hearts are far from me." It's possible to have stuff happening on the exterior, but they're not really an indicator of what's happening on the interior. Probably the worst illustration I ever read about that was a guy by the name of Melvin Hitchin. I, apparently he lived in New Orleans, and the story is told that that he was sitting out of his out on his porch one day, he was reading his Bible, and then he noticed his neighbors they were doing yard work, and uh, he had an ongoing feud with his neighbors about lawn care stuff, and so after he finished reading his Bible, he got up, walked off his porch, went and got his handgun, and killed uh, one of his neighbors. Well, on the exterior side, if you drove by, here sits this guy out on his porch, diligently reading God's word, you would have mistakenly evaluated his spiritual trans transformation uh, on the basis of that Bible in his lap, because a few minutes later, he did a horrible thing. Spiritual disciplines are, are activities that help us to do what, what is very hard to do by willpower alone. It's tapping into the supernatural power to, to live our lives the way that please the Lord. We need those spiritual disciplines as a way to, to set us up for, for ongoing growth and development. Um, one commentator has said, I go through life as a transient on his way to eternity. I'm made in the image of God, but with that image debased, I am needing to be taught how to meditate, how to worship, how to think. I think you and I are in serious need of being taught how to do the spiritual disciplines of life.
Now, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, is an excellent uh, book, and I highly recommend it. And he, he's going to outline spiritual disciplines in, in really three categories. The inward disciplines, that would be things like meditation. Uh, the ability to sit still and let your mind chew and rechew, ruminate, much like a cow does their food moving through the variety of stomachs they have, to, to, to get out of God's word everything there is. Meditation is an inward discipline. Prayer is an inward discipline. Uh, the ability to, to sit still and both worship and adore God, to make certain that there is plenty of thanksgiving happening, gratitude of our hearts, as well as letting our petitions be known. The inward discipline of prayer. The, the discipline that happens inside of us as we learn to fast, to, to, withgo, to, to, to withhold things from, from, our, from our flesh, whether it's food or something else. Um, I remember when I was a kid and it, it came time for Lent every year, my dad and I were, were famous for wanting to fast something. And usually our choice was chocolate. Uh, but fasting is far more than just doing without uh, some, some treat. It's an inward discipline. And lastly, foster includes study, studying God's Word, not just reading it, but being a student of God's Word. So those are the inward disciplines he mentions. Then he mentions the outward disciplines. There are things like simplicity. Wow, do we need that in our world? The idea that we don't have more than we need. That it's easy to get dressed in the morning because we don't have 50 choices. Uh, it's easy to drive our cars in and out of our garages because we don't hoard uh, old stuff. Simplicity is, a, is an outward discipline. Solitude. Learning to be comfortable in our own skin, to be uh, comfortable being away and by ourselves and listening. Uh, and next one he mentions is submission, the ability to submit to the authorities around us, both in our home, in our intimate relationships, but also in work and in society. Submission is an outward discipline. And he lastly mentions as an outward discipline service the ability to put someone else's needs before your own. And lastly, he takes the third category and he calls them corporate disciplines. These are to be done in a group setting. So the first one is confession. Now, I found it interesting that confession uh, fell into the corporate disciplines, and we'll talk about that later as the study goes on, but confession is an important part of, of a spiritual discipline, as is worship. Uh, and certainly guidance, being in a position to help those around us. And my personal favorite in the corporate disciplines is celebration. Knowing how to celebrate and do it in an appropriate fashion uh, is, a, is a corporate discipline. Now, other, other writers have, have taken all these disciplines and put them into two different baskets. One is called the discipline of letting go, and the other one is the discipline of activity. And for me, the disciplines of activities are always easier than the disciplines of letting go. Well, our study for the next seven or eight weeks is going to explore uh, a, a number of these disciplines. 
And in the meantime, I've put uh, some some thoughtful discussions and personal questions uh, with the notes. Things like, what does it mean to become more like Jesus? And and can you be specific? What what would it look like in your life? Taking a look at First John uh, chapter two, verse number six. John says this. Um, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. So what does it mean to become like Jesus? What are the characteristics that need to be uh, part of the transformational process in our lives? Uh, a second question I put her, what are some of the spiritual boundary markers that, that we erroneously are using to evaluate maybe our own life or somebody else's? And, and how are they valid or, or not? And lastly, are, are we training or just trying to be like Christ? What might be missing? What, what, uh, what would a training regiment look like from a spiritual standpoint in, in your life? The problem is, is we, we lack motivation to practice. Um, and I want to fin- finish my study today with a, a really good illustration that that might provide some, some extra motivation for you and I to keep practicing, to keep moving forward, to be in a mindset of training as it relates to the spiritual disciplines. And it has to do with a, a, an imaginary kid. He's a six-year-old, and uh, his parents have enrolled him in some music lessons. And so every day after school, like all kids do, He's sitting in his living room and reluctantly strumming on his guitar, home, home on the range. And then he's looking out the window, watching all his buddies play baseball in the park. And this, uh, this discipline is, uh, is really drudgery in his life. Much like some of the things that I start and want to see in my life, but get so easily distracted by. Well, anyway, good old Kevin... Let's, uh, let's suppose that one day he is visited by, by an angel. And uh, that afternoon, he is he's taken to you know, Carnegie Hall, where he's shown some sort of a guitar virtuoso giving a concert. And it is astonishing what he sees and he hears. That, that musician's fingers are dancing up and down the strings with grace and fluidity. And, and he begins to think about how stupid and clunky his own hands feel as he's trying to, to stumble over the chords. And that virtuoso blends these soaring notes into a, a musical aroma that just wafts out of his guitar. Kevin is remembering the toneless and the irritating discord that comes from stumbling around with his. But, but Kevin is enchanted, and his head tilts slightly as he... As he continues to listen, he's drinking everything in. He's imagining, uh, you know, uh, what what it took. He, he, he can't imagine that someone could play this guitar like this. And suddenly the angel interrupts his thoughts and maybe says, uh, so what do you think, Kevin? And he goes, wow. And about that time the vanish, or the vision starts to vanish, and the angel is standing again in front of Kevin, but this time in his living room. And then he looks at the boy and says this, Kevin, that wonderful musician you saw is you in a few years. And he points to the guitar and he says, but you got to practice. You got to practice. 
Don't you think that his attitude towards practice would be different from that day on? I'm confident it would be. And what we need to do is keep remembering Romans 8.29. He says that, you know, in that passage, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That picture in our, in our minds, in our, in our hearts, is the picture of what we look like ultimately when we stand before the Lord and conformed to the image of Christ. So in the meantime, practice, practice, practice. And God bless you.